God loves you, and I love you. God loves you, and I love you. That was something of a strategy of evangelism for many when I was a very young person, a very young Christian, just learning how to share my faith. That was about the time H.C. Morrison founded Asbury Theological Seminary, I believe. <laughs> no, wait, that's not right. That was 100 years ago, so it wasn't quite that long ago. Have you heard we're celebrating our centennial? <laughs> so no, it wasn't that long ago, but when I was a very young person just learning to share my faith, this expression was frequently used in our circles, God loves you and I love you. Indeed, indeed, it's something of a truism in the church, isn't it? God loves you and so do I. Sometimes we would think, in the strength of Jesus, I love you even though you're very unloving and it's sometimes difficult to get along with. I love you in God's help. This simple assertion, however, in today's world needs a lot of nuancing. As I've grown older in years and in faith, I've come to realize that as simple as it sounds, God loves you and I love you, may be somewhat misleading. It might even give the wrong impression. The very English word love, as most of us of it use it today, has been reduced to a simplistic principle of acceptance with almost no qualifiers. It has come to mean my approval of you rather than my commitment to you. Then we, we turn it around and make that the sum total of God's love for you, reducing his love to an acceptance without any thought of God's holy character and the passion with which he longs to pour his holy love abroad in your heart. And so this morning, something very different is, I believe, taught to us from the book of Romans about this agape love meant here. Agape love is a noun that it uses, is used here a couple of times. If you don't know yet what I'm talking about, you will after your first semester of beginning Greek. This Christian agape love we know in the New Testament is based largely on the Old Testament concepts you heard about in the passages this morning. Our text in Romans is saying something I've come to believe is far more profound and powerful than can be summed up in any bumper sticker theology like God loves you and so do I. This no longer works. Consider for a moment just the first portion of the expression, God loves you. And based on what Paul says here and what he's suggesting in this paragraph, we'll see that the truth goes much deeper and the assertion is quite different than the saying, I love you. For one thing, God's agape love in the Romans text is unstoppable. It's relentless because of who God is. By contrast, human love, I love you, needs to be returned in order to flourish. Our love grows when it is reciprocated, when we share our love mutually one with each other, but God has no such needs. His love is never thwarted. It is relentless. It is unstoppable. While human love can dry up and disappear over time if it's not cultivated and nurtured, God's love simply cannot be stopped. Return to me for a moment to this problem of our use of the word love today to mean mere acceptance. At the same time I was learning to witness 
to the faith within me to other people and saying, God loves you and so do I, I also learned to summarize the gospel in this way. God accepts me, that's grace. I accept the fact that God accepts me and that's faith. Now, I am free to accept myself and that's peace. Now, I'm free to accept you and that's love. You return that and accept me and that's fellowship. Now, that's helpful because it's easy to remember, but this also leaves out a very important element in what I believe the Bible means by love, especially God's love for us. I've come to believe that this missing something, this missing element in this brief summary of the gospel is so profound and so central that none of these catchy sayings of talking about the gospel are really adequate in today's world. God's agape love is so much more. The Bible speaks of God's love for you as a convergence of God's whole being and of all of his other attributes into one great holy compassion burning for you and desiring intimacy with you. I want to repeat that. God's love for you is the convergence of his whole being and all of his other attributes into one great holy passion burning for you and desiring intimacy with you. The catchy phrase, God loves you, though true, and is the best we can do in a concise way, that's it. That's concise. It's the best we can do. But you're in seminary now, and it's time to go deeper. In these few moments, I call upon you to plunge deeper into the love of God. In that sense, it's inadequate to compare God's love for you and my love for you. We don't even mean the same thing when we say that. My love for you is fragile and weak and ephemeral by comparison to God's love for you. And moreover, it hardly constitutes a confluence of my whole being and one holy passion for you. But there's more. When I say, I love you, and you refuse to love me, I hurt because I've lost something. But when God says he loves you, and you refuse to love God, God hurts too, not because he's lost something, but because he knows you've lost something. He knows you've lost something. This holy passion, this convergence of God's attributes and a holy passion for you has your own best interest in his heart in a way that's very difficult for us to understand. This year, I have been in airports and traveled quite a lot for the first time since January 2020, for reasons you all know, those early days, the dark days of COVID pandemic. I've been struck recently by the speech the flight attendants give nearly every time as they teach us how to buckle our seatbelts. What would we do with that latest 1960s technology without them without them to tell us how to insert that metal tip into the buckle and to adjust the strap low and tight across our laps. We would just be lost without them, wouldn't we? And they don't always say this, but they often say, in the case, in the unlikely case, I like that, of an emergency, if the oxygen masks fall from the panels above you and you're traveling with small children, you've heard them say this, 
take the mask and cover your nose and mouth first before attending to the child. They know, of course, that in such an emergency, a parent is predisposed to take care of the child first and lose precious seconds in trying to rescue them both. A good mother, a good father will instinctively think of the child first. That seems obvious to me. But what is not obvious to me is something no one has been able to explain to me. Who put that love in a mother's heart? Who put that kind of love in a good father's heart to think instinctively of the child? Ladies and gentlemen, a mother's love for her child is a poor analogy for what God feels right now for you. God's agape love for you is unstoppable because it flows out of the nature and heart of God. It's also unlimited because of who you are. God has an infinite holy passion for everyone in the sound of my voice. There are no exceptions. It is my honor this morning, it is my calling to proclaim to you, to announce to you as forcefully as I know how, based on these texts that you've heard, the truth of these words. You were created in the image of God, both moral and personal. He breathed into you the very life of His own, his, his own being and made you unique in the created order, His treasured and royal possession. Now, as you know, some theological systems teach that God loved and Jesus died only for the elect, for the chosen people of God. Or at least we would say it this way, His atoning work on the cross is limited in some way by human fallenness to those who are elect. But we Wesleyan Arminians are convinced that God loves you without any equivocation on our part. We can say that without any hesitation or uncertainty. God loves you regardless of what you feel or what you've done or where you've been or what you think in this moment or, as a matter of fact, whether you even like it or not, God loves you as human beings made in the image of God. We can say emphatically that God loves you because of who He is and because of who you are. My wife and I have uh, three sons, and I'm really honored to say that Susan is with us this morning. Her name is Susan. I was privileged to be in the delivery room for the birth of all three of our sons. In fact, it is my generation that had the bright idea of bringing the father from the waiting room where he was perfectly content to pace back and forth and sometimes smoke in those days and wonder what in the world was going on back there. And then someone named Dr. Fernand Lamaze came along with a bright idea of bringing us into the room. And really, it is what a, such a vitally important role that we play. I took the Lamaze classes with Susan. You'll remember Susan sitting on the floor and learning all those critically important things I had to remember. Things like how to breathe. Seriously, I learned how to inhale and exhale. Not only that, how to fix my eyes on a certain target. We used the picture of a little dog that we had. But it can be anything, really, a spot on the wall. You fix your eyes and start. I learned how to pack a bag for the hospital. I learned how to remember the route to the hospital. Critically, critically important things that were really so vitally important. 
I remember during those Lamaze classes, one day I remember thinking, I'd like to talk to Dr. Lamaze because I'd like to know exactly what he was thinking when he had this idea. And so it was that, yes, riffing off Hamilton now, I was in the room where it happened. <laughs> and I played my vitally important role in the delivery of all three of our sons. By the time boy number two came along, I, I was an expert. I'd been around this before. I knew what to expect. But right away, I saw that something was different. By the time our second little fellow was born, I noticed he didn't cry in quite the same way our first son did, and I noticed immediately that the doctors and the nurses were gathering around and they were talking in whispered tones, and they were freaking me out, and I think they realized that, so they quickly tried to calm me down. And, but unlike our first son, they whisked him away down the hall out of sight. And as soon as I was sure that Susan was okay, I followed them, and I followed them down the hall onto another floor to a pediatrician and to a neonatal intensive care unit. And there, watching through those large hospital windows from the hallway, peering into the intensive care unit, I could see the pediatrician stooped over examining my newborn son, just an hour or so old, very carefully, and paying way too much attention to him for my satisfaction. Finally, after a while, the doctor looked up and saw me, and he came over to the glass, and he, he mouthed the words to you, are you the father? And I said, yes. And he came out into the hall, and he began to explain to me that our son had a respiratory disorder. It could be simply fluid in his lungs, which would dissipate in a matter of 24 hours, in which case, no problems. If the fluid did not dissipate on its own, then we had another situation to be concerned about, and there would have to be more serious measures that he would recommend. They took me to my son in a nurse, nursery and put him in a, a special little incubator, and unlike our first son, Susan didn't get a chance to, to see him immediately, but I was allowed into the room, into that intensive care unit, and I remembered walking into the room with the intense lights, seeing the little incubator and putting my hand in the holes with special gloves where I could pat on him and caress his legs. And I could see this perfect little baby in every other respect, just a few hours old now, and healthy in so many ways, but we didn't know about his future. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that I was heart sick that day, and I cried. If you had been with me and had put that baby along the row with all the other little babies in the nursery, chances are I couldn't have picked him out of the crowd. But if you'd said to me, Bill, do you love him? I would have said, well, what a ridiculous question that is. Of course I love him. That's a, that's a foolish question. At that point in his life, he, he couldn't do anything for me. He couldn't make me proud on the Little League baseball field or attend Asbury Seminary and enter into ministry. He couldn't support me in my old age. But don't you know, in some instinctive way, some overwhelming way, I loved him still in that moment. I loved him because of who he was. He was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He was my son. Now, before I go any further this morning, I need to let you know that the fluid in his lungs did dissipate quickly. 
He grew into a very fine, healthy toddler and is, in fact, in the room this morning. I know I'm probably breaking every rule in the preacher's manual, Jessica, so don't ever embarrass your family members in front of a congregation. However, I want you to see that Jeremy is here. If you'll wave, Jeremy. He's sitting there with his mother. Yeah. <laughs> healthy and blessed, and he has done those things. He made me very proud on the Little League field. He uh, attended Asbury Seminary and went into ministry. He hasn't yet had a chance to support me in my old age, but he better. <laughs> my love for a newborn that I would hardly have been able to recognize among all the other babies in the room is hard to explain to you. But I have good news for you this morning. That is merely a poor analogy for the love God has for you because of who you are in His created order as the apple of His eye. God's agape love in Romans 5 is unstoppable because of who God is. It is unlimited because of who you are, and it's undeserved because of the sin in our hearts. This text that Sean read for us this morning says a lot about us. It teaches that we are justified by faith, and therefore we have peace with God, and that because of God's grace, even more of the present sufferings that we endure produce hope, and hope because of God's love has been poured into our hearts, purifies us through the ministry of His Holy Spirit. But all of that is characterizing our lives today as Christians. Because we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, and we share in the glory of God. Paul here, however, goes on to explain that before we were redeemed by His blood, we were weak and ungodly, unable to do anything for ourselves. We were sinners and enemies of God. And through all that, we have been reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Remarkably, Paul observes, Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's it. There is no greater illustration of just how undeserved God's agape love is than the cross. You can look at Islam and there's no cross. You can look at Buddhism, and there's no cross. You can look at Hinduism, there is no cross. Zoroastrianism, you can go through all the religions and philosophical systems of the, of the ages. There's only one place where you read of these two crude pieces of timber, and there the body of our Lord hung while insolence looked on, while ignorance looked on, while irreverence looked on, while indifference looked on, and hatred looked on, and the sins of the world were hurled onto his body. And yet he bows his head, and he lifts up his heart, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I close with a very well-worn story told by nearly every preacher I've ever met. Uh, I stopped telling this story years ago when I read theories about it being apocryphal, but now in very recent years, scholars of Karl Barth have argued that in fact this actually happened and there have 
been two witnesses verified who were in the room and heard him say these things. You know the story. You've all probably told it. 1962, he was giving a tour near the end of his career in the United States, and he was at the University of Chicago in the Rockefeller Chapel, chapel which is really not a chapel. It's more like a Gothic cathedral. And he gave a, tour, he gave a lecture, and after the lecture, a student asked the question in the Q&A time. He asked him to summarize his whole life's work in theology in one sentence. And Bart said something to this effect, yes, I can. In the words of a song I learned from my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, yes, that is a true sentiment. But remember, it took Bart 9,000 pages to explain what it means that Jesus loves us and the Bible says so. <laughs> and, and that is because the profundity of that relatively simple thing to say, God loves you and I love you. He loves you with a love that is incomprehensible in any human imagination. His love is unstoppable because of who He is. It's unlimited because of who you are. It's undeserved because of the sin in our hearts. You cannot stop God's love. You cannot earn it. But neither can you run from it or be excluded from it. You are no exception. We have to come to terms this morning with the idea that we will never fully exhaust the meaning of God's love. But it's important that we know its reality, that we know its truth as best we can. And so this morning, as we close these thoughts in this part of our service, we all need a special touch of God's grace through the power of the ministry of His Holy Spirit to understand the depth and breadth of God's love in new ways for a troubled age. As you hear the familiar words of the great thanksgiving, my prayer for you this morning is that the Spirit of God will pour His love into your heart. If you're watching online, wherever you are just now, I pray that you know, really know, the depth and breadth of God's holy compassion and His holy passion for you. Here in this room, we will celebrate and consecrate the elements for communion. And as we say those powerful words of the Epiclesis, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine, may He also pour His love into your hearts and prepare all of us to love Him properly and to love each other as we should.